After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Welcome to Greater Good Radio Hawaii, where leaders inspire leaders. Greater Good Radio Hawaii is dedicated to social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Evan Leong, and with me is my co-host, Carrie Leong. Mahalo, Evan. Today's guest is Mike Fitzgerald, President and CEO of Enterprise Honolulu, a nonprofit economic development organization funded by Oahu's private sector. Mike has played an integral part in helping to boost Hawaii's economy and creating jobs for locals. Please welcome to Greater Good Radio, Mike Fitzgerald. Welcome to our show, Mike. Hello. I'm delighted to be here. Nice to see you all. Are you able to tell us a little bit more about Enterprise Honolulu? Sure. I would be delighted to. Enterprise Honolulu is a private, nonprofit economic development organization. We have about 100 companies that contribute to us annually, and that's where our funding comes from. We have about a million and a half dollar budget a year, about 10 staff people, and our focus is diversifying Hawaii's economy, particularly focusing on the technology sectors, of which there are about nine now, seven or nine, depending on how you lump those together, and uh, growing those businesses that are here, helping new entrepreneurs get started, as well as attracting targeted ones from the mainland, businesses that from the uh, that are on the mainland now that either have a technology strategic alliance potential here, can serve a market that is un- not being served, or needs to be here because they're trying to serve Asia. That's the target. And we focus trying as, as every way that's possible to provide the jobs first choice for ones that are already here, Hawaiian citizens that are already here, young people often, and the Kamahaina Network offshore get first shot at all of the jobs. If they can possibly take them, then we go beyond a recruit. So what are some success stories coming from Enterprise Honolulu that we may not have heard of? Well, I, I probably you've heard of most of all the uh, – we're working with all of the ones that are visible now, uh, like Hawaii Biotech, cellular, biocellular engineering, Hoku Scientific, uh, tissue genesis. Uh, there's about a dozen in that category that are – really potentially world-class businesses. All those businesses are potentially billion-dollar companies. And they all now, Oceanet, Scientific, those companies have products or services that they sell by and large outside of Hawaii. So they're immediately export businesses, which brings new wealth back in. They're not dependent upon the local economy, which strengthens them. And they're paying high wages. The average wage in these companies is 50000 or above. Many of them are much bigger than that. I would say companies that you might not have heard of that are very, very successful are Pacific Light Network, which is an alternative telecom company here, alternative to the big guys. It's all it's throughout the islands. They license almost all of the fiber network, so they're way bigger than – they're not a tiny company, and they're really entrepreneurial, so they try to provide the best deal to entrepreneurs. They're not a big institutional company. That's one that is very, very much of a big success. The one that we are most excited about going forward is the Wire Super Ferry, which isn't a high-tech company, although this this ferry is very much high-tech. It looks like kind of the Starship Enterprise. It's as big as a football field. It will start off serving the Big Island and Maui. It can take 200 cars, uh, 1,000 passengers, and it will, for the first time ever in this state's history, 
net together these islands, which has very significant economic implications. It's going to lower the price of cargo. It's going to lower the price of uh, a passenger service. And it will have all kinds of both economic, political, and social implications because families and people can go visit easy, just drive their van on, bring their family, their dog, all the children. Uh, it's it's going to affect Hawaii in a very profound way. But at the bottom line, it's going to basically lower the cost of living in Hawaii because it's going to easily and more quickly and more cheaply transport people, cargo, building materials, food, everything uh, between the islands, and it'll eventually extend to the islands. So those are just some kind of the exciting projects that are going on here. That's exciting. Are you the one that brought Enterprise Honolulu to Hawaii? No, no. Enterprise Honolulu is a metamorphosis or a, a evolved out of the Hawaii Economic Development Organization, which has been here for probably 20 years. But during the 80s and really in the first part of the 90s, it had kind of become dormant because the economy was doing so good here. But then when it the economy leveled off in 91, starting with the Gulf War, and really started to decline. A group of both members that were already on the board of the Hawaii Economic Development Board and others came together and said, we need to do something to revitalize the economy. We must be focusing on what they termed that time a third pillar, in addition to military and the tourism. We need to focus on diversification, and that should be technology. They banded themselves together, and that's the evolution of that was really the genesis of enterprise Honolulu. how did you get involved with this organization are you from here no no it's a uh, very zigzag operation here i have i was at the time i'm from montana at the time i'd been working in seattle for quite a long time and i just finished up being director of department of commerce for the state of washington from 93 to 97 and i had just ended that term because the governor ended his term and i was starting to put my own private consultant see back in business and i got a call from a new organization called enterprise florida florida was the first state that privatized its uh, state department of commerce and they were putting this together and asked me if i would come help them work on a contract to put this together so i had just agreed to go and i just got there in september and i got a call out of the blue from the oahu economic development board saying here we're putting this some back together hawaii's in bad shape we're, we've lost a hundred thousand people here in the last whatever period of time businesses are struggling can you help somebody give us your name so I just started pro bono working with them from afar, doing teleconferences, sending them information, putting them on to what I thought were best practices, people and organizations around the U.S. and the world, and did that for two or three years. And then in uh, 2002, they decided they wanted to hire somebody full-time, and that's how I got here. And I started in January 2002. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Howdy sell his company to Akamai Technologies for $3 billion. Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who donates 6% of sales to make more money? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. How do you get 100 stores and 100 million in sales in less than 10 years? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who raised $50,000 in a few weeks for the tsunami relief? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. And all while benefiting the community. GreaterGoodRadio.com You're listening to Greater Good Radio Hawaii. Please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. 
Today's guest is Mike Fitzgerald, President and CEO of Enterprise Honolulu, a nonprofit economic development organization funded by Oahu's private sector. Mike has played an integral part in helping to boost Hawaii's economy and creating jobs for locals. Mike, I was wondering how you got to become an expert in the development of economy. I wouldn't call myself an expert. I think it, it changes so fast. What I would say at best is I'm a quick-learning student. I started in Montana. I worked for the first governor right out of college for a couple of years. I was only 23 at the time, and I just learned politics and his staff. He was one of the old-time machine politicians left. The new governor that took over after him, this would have been in 72, now 73, was only 36 years old, and he asked me to stay, and he said, start figuring out what we can do to diversify this economy. We export all of our youth. It's been dominated by big outside companies for a long time. Uh, there are no opportunities for young people here, very similar to Hawaii. So, and at that time, there were very few economic development organizations anywhere in the United States. The best ones were in Europe or um, maybe only one or two in Asia at the time. So I had license to go see who knew how to do this at all and where they were doing it. So I went out and just tried to start figuring out what initiatives can be taken at the state and local level to drive a different agenda from inside, or are we just vulnerable and we just have to take what we come, what comes. And it was clear that there were some places that were already organizing themselves and having a direct impact on improving their economy by clearly getting a different new vision and driving a definite, well-defined, locally created economic diversification to benefit their local area by community. And there were a handful of these at the time. So we started putting together a strategic economic development plan for Montana, and it was community by community. In many cases, you, it was, you had to grow your own. You had to create your own thing out of basically whatever you had. Uh, at the time, we also were very successful at attracting not domestic big companies like many other states were trying to do because Montana is the most remote state from the rest of the continental United States and the most remote from big markets. There's not a million people there now. We went and formed alliances with international companies that were looking for resource positions outside of here. So we dealt with Japanese trading companies. We dealt with we did projects in Saudi Arabia, Algeria, and developed international relations that got them in turn to come invest in Montana to start vertically integrating the economy. So that's basically how I learned it. That was in 73, 74, 75. There were hardly any U.S. companies doing anything international then because the U.S. was such a big, wealthy economy, the biggest and wealthiest. But we had this peculiar circumstance that forced us to go abroad and start figuring out how the international economy worked and actually getting companies to come. So that's really how I learned. And then from there, I went to do the state of Washington's long-term economic development strategy. From that, became director of their State Department of Commerce. From there, went to Florida, Florida to here. So it's been a zigzag approach. So it's a, it wasn't a clear path. And I think now at last there are actually clear paths that people can take that are interested in it. There's lots of colleges that have a specific curriculum in economic development, community development. There are lots of colleges now that are, if they have any environment inclinations, that are focusing on sustainable development. And that's what we have focused the development on here. And basically sustainable is to focus on this triple bottom line, to simultaneously be working on economic prosperity, environmental protection, and social equity or social justice. And most enlightened places are doing just that. That's definitely our agenda here at Enterprise Honolulu. Do you have a good example of uh, companies that are that have a successful triple bottom line? 
you know, all of the technology-based companies that we're dealing with, and that would include Hoku, all of the ones I listed, Hawaii Biotech, Cellular Bioengineering, Tissue Genesis. There's a dozen of them here. Yes, because they're very sensitive about the local economy. Most of the people in those companies are from here. So that makes them very concerned about the environment and social equity. Technology companies, by and large, pay their people well. They take very good care of them. They're paid much more than any other kind of company. They are not The people in them are not having to argue about whether they get uh, health benefits, uh, if they can take off for their son's or daughter's ballet dance or baseball game. The, the companies encourage their people to be involved in the community, to give back to the community. They support a lot of the community do-good programs. They support the arts. They support fund drives. They support uh, health care things. They support all of the kind of uh, organizations that are daily raising money here for one thing or another. They are very good corporate citizens, and that event is going to be a very significant dominant third pillar here in Hawaii. So without many exceptions, and I can't think of one when I say it, this technology sector, the companies that are in it, and that includes companies that represent information and communication, software, biotech, healthcare, diversified agriculture, film and digital media, dual-use technologies, which are the military technologies, marine sciences, uh, and ocean sciences, astronomy, space sciences, and alternative energy. Those are the sectors we work on. All of those companies take good care of their people, have a high social conscience for the community, and are major contributors to the community, and are very focused on the environment and not doing damage to the environment. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Greater Good Radio. After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Is the greatest part of your workday the leftover lasagna you packed for lunch? Is it quickly becoming apparent that you and everyone you know are smarter than your boss? Just how satisfying is it to wear an untucked shirt on Fridays? It's time you stopped filling a position and started being fulfilled with a job that excites you every day, not just payday. And now is the perfect time to demand more of the work week. The Honolulu Star Bulletin and Midweek work with Monster so you can live up to your potential right here. Your calling is calling. Find it at starclassifieds.monster.com. We're back with Mike Fitzgerald, CEO of Enterprise Honolulu. Mike, I had read somewhere that you believe in well-paid jobs. I mean, you know, average salaries, I guess for the Hawaii people, at least 50000 that people are able to have a good job, um, make pretty good money. Do you have this belief because you think that if people make more money, they're going to give back to the businesses so it'll nurture and be successful all the way around? Well, that's part of it, and that, that will be one of the definite results. If people are making enough money so they can afford to live and don't have to have everybody in the family working, they're going to spend more time with their children. They're going to be more available to do volunteer things in the community. They're going to have more time to be active both uh, in their neighborhood and in the external community. And that's almost the antithesis of what reality is in Hawaii right now. And this is what was the biggest learning for me when I got here. There are 1.2 million people in Hawaii about local citizens. There are 600,000 jobs about, and that goes up and down depending on the economy. 70% of those jobs do not pay living wages. 70%, that means only 30% of the people that live in Hawaii have 
living wage jobs. And that's a specific calculation by how much does it cost to live in a certain area, whether it's one people, one person, two person, do you have children, so forth. And that's a study that was, it's many studies that have been done all over the U.S., but that's a study that was done by the Association for uh, Women at the University of Hawaii about two years ago. I could give you the exact quote, although I can't remember the exact name of the study. It shows that in downtown Honolulu, basic living wage for a family of two people with two children is $64,000. That's after you pay taxes. So the average wage would be much higher than that. So the result is we must create jobs in Hawaii that pay 50000 or above, or we're going to keep people trapped at the bottom. Those numbers tell you there's not a middle class in Hawaii because we have the highest number of people working per family, the highest multiple people of working per family in the U.S. just to try to make ends meet. So there's two, three, four people working in a family to try to cobble together the forty or fifty or 60000 they need to just live. Mm-hmm. That must be changed because the, bifur- the driving force now is a bifurcation between wealth and poverty is even expanding now, particularly the high cost of housing is exasperating that. It's very difficult for even middle-class people, of which there are not many in Hawaii, to buy housing now, to get affordable housing. There almost isn't any. It's very difficult for young people starting out to get a job that pays a living wage and an apartment or a house where they could start building up equity. If we can't change that in Hawaii and you run this out 10 or 20 years, this will be like circumstances that cause the French Revolution. You're going to have two or three or four or five percent of wealthy people and everybody else, and it is not tolerable. That must be changed, and that's why we need public and private leaders really working on this diversification agenda. Those highway, high-paying jobs are not going to come from tourism. That doesn't mean that tourism isn't important and how to be supported here. I'm, not, I'm neutral on tourism. But good-paying jobs are not going to come from tourism. There's very few good-paying jobs in there for the hotel bar managers, da-da-da-da-da. They're going to come from diversifying the economy in these technology sectors. The good news is these technology sectors are here, and the reason they're here is because Senator Inouye has poured so much federal money in this state for 30 or 40 years. If he hadn't done that, these wouldn't be here. And if these weren't here now, any one of them would be way too expensive for the state to create. It wouldn't happen. The good news is, is they're here. They already employ 30,000 people. There's 1,500 companies. They're the fastest-growing sectors. They pay good-paying jobs, not just living-wage jobs, and they are well on the way of becoming the third pillar for this economy. Just let me give you three numbers. Tourism brings in $11 billion a year to Hawaii. The military missions, that is, Army, Navy, Air Force, so forth, and the, the direct troops and their families are about 5 or $6 billion a year. These sectors together, these innovation sectors, are already $3.5 billion a year, and they're the fastest growing. So what you see in there is for the first time in Hawaii's history, we're raising the floor of Hawaii's economy. It's raising up. People are not going to be trapped at the bottom, and that should drive new changes in education. There hasn't been a need to educate people well in Hawaii because there were no good jobs here. And matter of fact, there's a culture here that discouraged many kid many parents from having their kids do well in school because if they did well in school they left here and they never saw them again now there's an opportunity for the first time to encourage young people to really do well here because these technology knowledge-based sectors are creating good paying jobs and it's going to change the face of hawaii if we can keep it going thanks for tuning in stay tuned for more on greater good radio 
After hundreds of interviews and thousands of hours of research, we're excited to share with you our first book, The Greater Good, Life Lessons from Hawaii's Leaders, with a special forward from Mayor Mufi Hanneman. The Greater Good is a collection of personal stories and quotes from over 70 of the leaders we've interviewed. The Greater Good will make you laugh, make you cry, and will inspire you to live a greater good life. Available at bookstores statewide and at greatergoodbooks.com. Hawaiian time, Neptunites, the sunshine in your mouth. Neptunites, For bubble tea supplies in your home, at a party or business, contact Bubble Tea Supply at 948-2622 or online at bubbletea.com. Neptunites, the sunshine in your mouth. How do you sell his company to Akamai Technologies for $3 billion? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who donates 6% of sales to make more money? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. How do you get 100 stores and 100 million in sales in less than 10 years? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. Who raised $50,000 in a few weeks for the tsunami relief? Find out at greatergoodradio.com. And all while benefiting the community. GreaterGoodRadio.com You're listening to Greater Good Radio Hawaii. Please visit us online at GreaterGoodRadio.com. Today's guest is Mike Fitzgerald, President and CEO of Enterprise Honolulu. Besides helping to stimulate Hawaii's economy for the community, Mike is also involved with many community organizations. He is on the board for Hawaii Workforce Development Council, Science and Technology Council, Agriculture Leadership Foundation, and is involved with HiBeam. At the beginning of the show, you did mention when you first came to Hawaii, or actually when you were working in Florida for Enterprise Florida, Honolulu had contacted you and had asked you to kind of help with how to develop and, I guess, nurture the Hawaii's economy because it was having some troubled times. And you did mention that you were doing some pro bono work for Honolulu. Where did you come up with the philosophy of giving back just on your own time and with your knowledge um, of sharing this with other people? not necessarily looking for the monetary returns. Oh, I think that's easy. I, I had been here many, many times as a tourist starting in 1970. May 1970, I first came, and I've, I've probably come every other year since then, particularly when I lived in Seattle. I came often because it was such an easy trip, but even from Montana. And almost everybody that ever comes to Hawaii it ends up to be, if not their favorite place, one of their favorite places. And it's a place you just don't stop thinking about. I never, ever thought about the possibility that I could actually live here and work here. But I and my family all love to come here. So when I got the call, I was delighted to help uh, with no idea uh, that I'd ever come here or that I would ever, you know, be paid for it. It didn't even cross my mind that if I could give anybody their ideas and help and support that would help improve the place, I was most willing to do it. And my first counsel to them was don't follow anybody else's model. Don't try to become Silicon Valley. Don't try to be like any other place you can imagine. Hawaii has such unique attributes that build upon those. Don't, don't hire, I don't this, I'm the contrary, but don't hire an outside Howley to come there that will tell you how to do this. Bring people together there and help them get a clear definition of what it is they want and build upon that. Uh, and I, I didn't even know these technology sectors were here at the time, but I said, follow a sustainable development model. And I gave them the name of communities and places that were doing that, what that meant, and that I said that Hawaii should be, could be a model for sustainable development. 
a balanced place where the economic prosperity, environmental protection, and social justice was evolving simultaneously because it's a natural extension of what's here. And it goes back to the old ahupua'a, which is such a metaphor for that. Uh, so that that's how I began, and I just that, that was the information I told them in the very first time they caught up with me, and that only became more confirmed the longer I worked with them. You've been dealing with business people from all over the country uh, for a long time. What is it about top business leadership and, and their involvement with giving back to the communities? What is it that they feel that the importance is for, for doing that? Well, unfortunately, I don't think all of them do, but a growing number does. And I think it has to do, this is my own opinion, and it might be a little more stark than they've come to. Most people feel some obligation if they've done well in a community and succeeded, whether it's financially or their family succeeded, they acknowledge that there was bigger causes to that than just their own, that it was the community they were in, it was the decisions made by the political leaders, it was a whole bunch of factors that helped them live the way they did, which resulted in a good life. In business, I think it's even starker. In the old days, and that doesn't matter whether it was the old days here, I'm talking about the early 19th and 18th century, or 19, up even up to about 1950 or 60 to stay to it here, and very similar in the rest of the United States, was working on an industrial model. Your industrial model was the plantation era. Uh, if it was in Pittsburgh, it was steel. If it was in Montana, it was copper. It was, you know, it was the old model, and it was a handful of very big and powerful companies run by a small number of people with a lot of workers that just did what they were told. And when you asked, which I did in those days, asked those people that were running those businesses to describe to you a good business climate, they inevitably, in the private of their office, would say a place that had low taxes, low wages, and no rules, because they honestly didn't care much about the people. Now, there were exceptions to those, and they knew they had to keep them at least healthy if they wanted them to be workers, but they weren't particularly concerned about the environment. They didn't want a bunch of smart people who were inventing how to do things different. They wanted people that were not well-educated, so they would do just what they were told and only what they were told and work hard, long hours for low pay all day long. That was the model. The start of the information economy in the 70s started to disintegrate that old model. And the major shift in it is it went from not being dependent upon smart people in an organization to totally being dependent upon smart people in an organization. Because smart as Bill Gates is, Bill Gates isn't the wealthiest and most popular and powerful person in tech in the world because he's himself. He's got a thousand or ten thousand or twenty thousand smart people that are daily reinventing that company. That's probably the epitome of the model. But what basic difference that happened is companies in the old order were driven by top down managers, directors that said, we're going to go do this, all of you go do this, you do that, you do that. We don't want any disruption to that. In the new model to compete, where information and technology and capital, not just dollars, but yen, marks, francs, kronas spread all over the world, empowered people and empowered entrepreneurs. And what that caused was these big old dynamic companies that had run and owned everything for 50, 60 years started to lose market share because they couldn't move fast enough. These entrepreneurs started to pull market share away. Today, if you look at a list of the 50, or of the companies that were on the Fortune 500 20 years ago, 50% of them are not there anymore. They don't exist anymore. Now, these were companies that owned their market share, had buildings full of Harvard MBAs, and owned their world market. No doubt about it. 
but they couldn't move. They had the same mental set inside of them, people that had gone to the same school, remember the same country club, they saw the world in the same way, and they got used, so used to dominating it, they couldn't see change. While as entrepreneurs were taking pieces of their market away, and by the time they figured it out, they're almost out of business. The Japanese car industry is the best example of this, where the U.S. probably won't last a decade or two, not even that long with their car company, but it's not just that. Where the other side, the entrepreneurs figure out how to do things better, faster, and cheaper because they're paying attention to the market. They're able to move quicker. They're able to, because of information flow, technology, information, and capital goes to where the smart, productive, creative people are, wherever that is in the world now. That's created global competition, and that's a fundamental change in the world. It is a fundamental change. So today, the single most important driver of competition, wherever doesn't matter what kind of business you have or where you are in the world, it's innovation. It's how fast can you change to meet the market changes, which are your customers wanting everything mass-customized, high-quality service, when and where they need it, everywhere, all the time, etc., etc. Companies that can't provide that are dinosaurs. They're dead and they just don't realize it, or they will be dead soon. Where that comes from is a group of smart, well-educated, multi-skilled, adoptable people working inside that organization. Not just the owner, not just the president, but all of them coming to work every day and asking themselves, how do we do everything we're doing better, faster, and cheaper? Better and faster and cheaper. And they have the liberty to figure that out. That's the driving edge of competition. Thanks for joining us today on Greater Good Radio. For more information or a transcript of today's show, please visit us online at greatergoodradio.com. This is your host, Evan Leong and Carrie Leong, saying please join us next time for another episode of Greater Good Radio, Hawaii.